part 10 of our series in Proverbs, and I hope this will be a fun message for you. Some of you might squirm a little bit. We are talking about the subject of sex. That is a part of wisdom. It's right there in the Bible. Please go to Proverbs chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 23, whole chapter. Proverbs chapter 5. Verses 1 through 23, this is a wise father talking to his son. Here's what it says, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol, which is the place of the dead. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. Oh, now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern flowing water from your own well. Should your, springs, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. That's the way the Bible describes your wife, apparently. All right? Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Okay? Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Wow. Let's let's pray for today's message. Help me, Lord. I'm going to talk about this huge and sometimes hard subject. For some people, I know it's a very hard subject. And we live in a time where we are tremendously foolish. Our culture is utterly backwards on this subject. And it's causing great destruction and ripping people's hearts and souls apart, Lord. But I pray that you would call forth the people. Maybe many in this room have made great mistakes in this area. We pray that today would be a word of grace and of hope. And I pray, Lord, that you would call forth the people to be wise and deep and flourishing with this incredible gift that you have given us called sex. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you guys were in school, did your teachers ever read you stories? I'm going to read you a story. I'm going to read some extended portions out of this book. And I I still remember in fourth grade, putting my head down on my desk, listening to my teacher tell the story, Island of the Blue Dolphins. Have you guys ever heard that story? Great story. I was spellbound as she told this story, uh, as she read from the book, Island of the Blue Dolphins. And I remember... And you know, you never really quite outgrow this. When I was in my senior year of high school, AP Honors English, AP English, all these hotshot, smart AP kids, cynical 17 and 18-year-olds, our teacher sat down and read us a short story, and it was spellbinding. So I hope this will be, I don't know if it will be spellbinding, I hope it will be memorable at least, okay? It's a tale of two couples told by a guy named 
Kevin Lehman. He is a, he's a very highly respected Christian psychologist, and it's from this book, Sheet Music, Uncovering the Secrets of Sexual Intimacy in Marriage. Lehman, L-E-M-A-N. Some of you may want to rush out and buy this book, okay? Okay, um, I recommend it. It's a very good book. He starts off talking about a couple. Their names are, let me get this right, Jim and Karen. And so I'll just skip this front, front part. Jim has a tendency to, whenever his wife moans and shows pleasure at certain key times, he goes, oh, that, that's the secret. And so then he, you know, then he wants to push that button <laughs> every single time after that, try to get her to moan. So he gets really predictable. And he apparently came to um, Dr. Lehman, and this is what Dr. Lehman said to Jim. You see, some of us guys treat sex like a football playbook. We know what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and where we're going to end up. The problem with this is that our wives soon grow bored with the routine. They could chart our movements and predict within about 10 seconds how long we're going to spend upstairs before we go downstairs. Your wife wants more than that, Jim. I saw a light bulb go on in Jim's mind. What I was saying was making sense. Here's your job, Jim, I continued. Your wife will not be the same woman on Tuesday evening sexually that she was on Saturday morning. One night she may be up for adventure or a rushed quickie. She'll want you to take her, right? Some morning she may want slow, languid sex with you taking a lot of time to convince her that she's up for it. Your job is to figure out which way the wind is blowing on that particular day. And it didn't take much more than that. I didn't need to send Jim to some sex surrogate, right? He didn't need to buy some marital aid or video. He got it. And then he adopted a new mindset. And according to Karen, he soon became a virtuoso of the bedroom. Husbands, I hope you would like to become a virtuoso in the bedroom. Okay, all you single guys, not for you yet, but hopefully one of these days you will aspire to this and today's story will help you. Okay, so now let's fast forward seven years later. Okay, now seven years later, sex permeates virtually everything Jim and Karen do. If you haven't experienced this, you wouldn't believe what an amazing marital glue, glue, that's the way he puts it, good sex can be. Three years ago, Jim was trapped in a job that he hated. His boss was determined to become the most hated man east of the Mississippi. When you're in, when you're in your mid-40s, I'm not talking about a young guy here. When you're in your mid-40s, feeling trapped is about the worst feeling there is. Jim could barely force himself to go into the office. But with twins who were in middle school, with college in the not-too-distant future, and two toddlers just getting into grade school. So he's got middle age, school age kids, and three and four year olds, okay? He didn't have a choice in this trap job. Now was not the time to make a risky financial change. One Friday, Jim got an email from Karen. It was the first thing he saw when he sat down in his office. Great news! The younger kids are going to be at Grandma's house tonight. And the older boys will be gone at youth group. I made reservations for eight at Palazzi's, which is Jim's favorite restaurant. If you can come home by six, that'll give us a good hour and a half to enjoy the hors d'oeuvres, which I will be wearing. By the way, if you look in your briefcase, you'll find a Polaroid. I don't know if you guys know what that is. That's an instant picture shot. It's a super piece of like primitive thing that, that, that used to exist 30 years ago, okay? Consider it your pre-dinner menu. Can't wait to see you. You're Karen. You know what Jin said to himself after reading that email? Keep in mind, he's in a dead-end job. Financial pressures are mounting. His boss was a jerk who made Jim's daily existence a living hell. But even so, Jim closed the email and said to himself, I'm the luckiest dude there is. (laughs) Having a great sex life is an exhilarating experience. It can bond a husband and wife in a way that's unequaled in human experience. It's pretty remarkable. That's unequaled in human experience, okay? 
Knowing that your bride really does care for you, that your husband desires your body more than anything else, affirms a man and a woman in profound and multiple ways. Jim and Karen's kids, listen, this is really important for those of you who don't think you have time for this. You've got like all these little kids who are pawing at you or something and you're too tired. Jim and Karen's kids benefited greatly from this email, by the way. When Jim and Karen finally picked up the younger kids from Grandma's house, Jim couldn't wait to see them. Because he was sexually satisfied, he could focus fully on being there for his kids, hearing about their day and taking the time to tuck them into bed. And don't think that the kids didn't notice how affectionate Jim and Karen were that evening. It gave them a sense of security and happiness, making them think we're the best family anyone could be in. That's what the kids think. Sexual fulfillment didn't come overnight for Jim and Karen, but when it came, it changed everything about their home. Did you get it? It didn't just change their bed. It changed their home, their family. To tell you the truth, Jim would die for Karen. He would take a bullet for her without thinking twice. There's nothing he wouldn't do for her. The story goes on. Let me tell you about another couple. Mark and Brenda faced a sexual challenge of their own. They had been sexually active before marriage and both admit that the sex was pretty exciting. But, predictably, for couples who engage in sexual relations before marriage, this is quite predictable according to an expert psychologist, sexual relations cooled off not that long after the wedding. Mark didn't seem as eager as he had been before, and Brenda was far less adventurous. At first, Mark and Brenda thought it was just the kids. They got pregnant early on in their marriage and now had two kids under the age of five. Over time, however, sex became even less frequent until eventually it was almost an embarrassing afterthought. Something the two of them did because they thought, well, we should. <laughs> At least once a month anyway, right? Mark had a well-paying job and a good boss, but he was under tremendous stress. As a salesman, if Mark performed well, he was rewarded handsomely. If he fell into the bottom third, he'd be fired. And that's the way it is. A lot of sales-oriented work. He was only as good as last quarter's numbers. Mark thought he had an account worth several hundred thousand dollars in the bag. It was just a matter of getting the company to sign. When he went into the purchaser's office, however, he was shocked to hear, Sorry, Mark, we decided to go with someone else. you got to be kidding. We've been working on this for two months, and last week you said it looked like a go. What do we need to do to earn back your business? It's too late, purchaser said. They've already signed another contract. Stunned, Mark walked out into his car in a daze. He instinctively answered his cell phone when it rang, but immediately wished he hadn't. Hey, Mark, his boss yelled through the phone. I thought I'd take you out to that new Italian restaurant for lunch to celebrate your closing of that Andresen account. Mark wanted to swallow the cell phone right there. Five hours later, after a lonely and very alcohol-laden lunch, Mark began to reflect on what his life had become. He had earned a six-figure income last year, but his job security was always on the line. As his boss reminded him when he heard the news about the Andreessen account. See, it sounds like he's being a really nice boss, right? But it's pretty much a kind of passive-aggressive way to basically stick a knife in his back and say, if you don't land this account, you're dead. Enjoy the Italian food. How long had it been since he and Brenda had had any fun? Mark remembered the days they couldn't keep their hands off each other. Now they were like two roommates sharing the same bed but not much else. Ever since the kids arrived, they seemed boxed into that admittedly gorgeous 3,500 square foot home. Any of you guys have a 3,500 square foot house? In San Jose, it's a little bit of a tall order, okay? I actually know couples just like this. They got gorgeous house. They drive a very expensive car. They wear nice clothes and go on expensive vacations. And they have a really crappy sex life. How do I know I have a crappy sex life? Because I can tell. 
I can tell because the way they treat each other and talk to each other. If they talk to each other in this really lame way, I'll bet you a lot of money that their sex life sucks. Mark yearned for the days when he and Brenda could make the world disappear for a few hours as they got lost in each other's embrace. Deciding to make a change, Mark called Brenda and confessed, I've had a really crummy day. Can we just go out tonight? It was an emotional cry from Mark. Wives, listen to that. It sounds just like an innocent question. It's not just a question. It's a cry for help. A lot of times that happens in marriage. A lot of times. Husband sounds like he's just asking a question. He's not. He needs help. But Brenda didn't get it. She'd had a rush day herself. And because she'd lost touch with her husband and wasn't able to read the emotion in his request, she responded with a curt, Mark, it's five o'clock. I can't get a babysitter this late. What are you thinking? You never give me any notice. Mark wanted to tell Brenda that he missed her. He longed for her to be the eager woman she used to be who was willing to cut classes to fool around for a little bit. But he had already stuck out his neck once today and look where that got him. So he went on the defensive. Forget it, he said, hung up the phone. Mark stopped at a pub on the way home and shot pool until 11 o'clock at night. He knew he'd catch a lot of flack from Brenda for being out late so late, but she didn't understand the pressure he was under. Brenda also didn't understand that Mark masturbated two or three times a week, and every time he did so, he felt a desire for Brenda as a person decline just a little bit more. He was tired of being reluctantly accommodated and never pursued. For her part, Brenda was too busy with the kids to notice. In fact, she was actually thankful that Mark didn't pressure her for sex anymore. She was too tired to even think about it. And that happens. It never occurred to her that Mark was taking matters into his own hands and was adept enough at hiding the pornography on the computer that she never found it. What Brenda didn't realize was how much the sexual winter was costing them as a couple and how, if they didn't turn things around, they'd probably be divorced within another five years. Pretty right. The kids noticed that mommy and daddy were rarely affectionate toward each other and often very impatient. They could sense there was something under the surface, a seething discontent. But because it was never brought out into the open, they lived with the fear and lack of security that such an environment creates. Brenda became more and more focused on her kids, trying to meet her emotional emptiness through her children's affection. Mark became more interested in work and his computer at home. I'll stop there. These two stories, they could be you. It could be you. All of you single people, they could be you when you get married. Um, wasn't that kind of sneaky, the pastor giving you an interesting introduction? That was my introduction. Let me give you my three acts. Part one, using others versus real loving. Part two, the glorious gift of sex for the married folks. And part three, the union with Christ, the pathway to real love. Okay? The union with Christ, just the pathway to real love. Let me just talk about, before I get into the Bible, let me just show you another story. Stories are always helpful, right? When I was a young pastor and newly married, I think we were in our first year of marriage, an older pastor, a brother, a friend of mine, he's an old guy now, I think he's in his 70s. His name is Jack Longley, he's a pastor here in San Jose. Um, he took me out to lunch. And for those of you who have been in this church, you might have heard this story before, but you can hear it again, okay? Um, Jack Longley, he's a really interesting guy. He has, he's gone through, he has his uh, pastoral wounds. He's gone through, he's seen all kinds of hell break loose in his church. And over lunch, he then began to tell me pastoral horror stories that he had witnessed. The one that particularly stuck out in my mind was the couple that was in his choir. They had been seemingly faithful members of his church for many years. 
And one guy started having an affair with another member of the choir. They're not married to each other. And then it, and it all came out, and of course all hell broke loose within the church when that scandal broke. So then he calls them into his office. You know, one by one he called both couples, and then they're, both couples are, of course, devastated. And what he found out was the guy, he hadn't had sex in like two years. Neither had the wife. She hadn't had sex in months. And when they did have sex before that, it was really lousy. That that was the state of their marriage. So Jack Longy told me these stories. Then he leans over, I think we were having pasta or something like this, and he over the lunch and he looks at me and he goes, Hey, you guys doing it? I'm thinking like, dude, these white guys are blunt. <laughs> no Korean pastor would look in my face and say this to me, right? And I was thinking, um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> and um, and then uh, and he basically said, okay, good, good, good. And his point, and then he and then he told me, and then he looked at me straight in the face, and he said, hey, Susan, are you a lover? Or are you a masturbator? Are you a lover? Or are you a masturbator? And I was looking at him going like, <laughs> so really, this is a, I'm at a public restaurant. <laughs> I think I'm about, I, I'm, I'm a newlywed guy. I'm about 26, 27 years old. And this older pastor guy is talking about masturbation over Italian food, okay? Um, he wasn't talking about whether I was masturbating. He was saying, do you understand the real difference between real sex, great sex, it's love. Do you serve your wife? Do you give yourself to your wife? Or do you use her? So you can have sex with your wife, and people go, well, that's not masturbation. And he said, actually, spiritually, in your heart, if you're just using her for your own pleasure, you're masturbating, even though you're having sex with your wife. So it's strange, isn't it? Most people only look at sex from the outside. He was talking about what's going on inside of you. What's going on inside of you? And that's the way I want to get at this. You get at this passage here in Proverbs chapter 5. The Bible has a very remarkable balance. The Bible is in no way prudish about the subject of sex. It is utterly unembarrassed. I mean, it says crazy stuff in the Bible here. I mean, you guys just don't know it. Because you're ignorant, because you haven't read it, okay? <laughs> I mean, that, that, I'm not trying to be mean. Most people just haven't read it. But if you actually thumb through the Bible, I mean, I dare you to do this. I dare you to go read everything the Bible has to say on the subject of sex. You will find it's as crazy stuff. It'll tell you stories you can't believe that are in there. Some are gross and scandalous, and it's in there. This is from God, okay? And, uh, and we're here in chapter 5 of Proverbs. And I'm telling you this story where Pastor Jack Longley looks at me straight in the face and says, are you a lover or are you a masturbator? I think that is a summation of what chapter 5 is saying. The father says to the son, there's all these women out here don't, that are forbidden to you. In other words, you're not married to them. If you're not married to them, don't go have sex with them. That's basically what he's saying. And it's really interesting. The Bible portrays them as like prostitutes or as adulterers. And sometimes the word that the Bible uses, it's, a, it's more of a, as a sense of a forbidden or a foreign woman. And the, in, in the times of Israel, you're not supposed to actually go to any woman who's not an Israelite. Back then, God's only chosen people were the Jews. But it's not an ethnic point. It's a faith point. How do we know that? Because one of the most important and interesting little stories in the Bible is the book of Ruth. I think it's the great-grandmother. I forget if it's the grandmother the great-grandmother of David. She's not an Israelite. She's one of the most beautiful women in the Bible. She's one of the most honored women in the Bible. And she's a Moabite. She's honored. and She gets to be the great-grandmother of the most important king of Israel. And she's not Israelite. It's not an ethnic point. She was forbidden because she followed other gods. But she becomes honored when she follows the real God. So these are the different ways. People who don't know Jesus, they're not potential wife, husband material. And 
all those people who are not your spouse, who you have not made covenant vows and been united to under God, they're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to be in bed with them. If you are, you are. I know you wouldn't call it masturbation, but according to Jack Longley, and I think he's right, you're using them. That's the difference. You're a user. So many people today think sex is primarily about my physical enjoyment. If that's all you get out of it, you might as well just stay at home and look at the porn. That's using. You can have sex with somebody else. This culture that we have today, the casual sex culture, the hookup culture, the hookup culture is just disgusting. I mean, honestly, it's just disgusting to me that you're in college. You know, I have no time to actually have a real relationship with you. I don't want to get to know you. I don't want to think about whether what, what is your deep vulnerabilities. I certainly don't want to commit to you because sex is about a deep form of commitment and giving your heart and soul to another person. That's real love. That's why it's only for marriage. That's why it's only under this special place where God demands and calls for. You want this great blessing? It's an absolutely super-duper blessing. But it must be within this, within this realm because it's about loving, not about using. And when you hear, here in the Bible, you have... <laughs> why does chapter 5... Chapter 5 is two-thirds about you know, blasting the son not to be a user not to be a masturbator, not to be a fornicator, not to be an adulterer. That's what most of chapter 5 is because he knows that that's, that's God knows that that's what most, where most people are going to fall. But there is also a portion here, it's the other portion of the balance, is within, within marriage, it is an absolutely glorious thing. Now look, um, I want to just say something about this before I go to part two of my message. The Bible is incredibly balanced in this. And let's just, and I want to say, I want to read this before I go on here because I want to emphasize this. Let's go to verse 15. I want you to catch, catch this in verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. This is what, this is the analogy, Okay. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? I hope this doesn't scandalize you. You know what this is basically saying? There's a stream. There's fountains. You know what he's talking about here? This is what the dad is talking about. There's streams. Should this just go out into the streets? This is what he's saying. If you have sex with somebody who's not your wife, you're just spreading your fountain into the street. Instead... Let your fountain be blessed. Let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. The Bible is actually saying here's the place where you can be intoxicated. Here's the place where you can feel completely let loose. This is a, let me put it this way. Be drunk in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Here, this is the place. Look, let me say this about balance before I go to part two of my message. There is two views of people of, of sex in the world. It's just pleasure. It's just, it's just you know, all these things about... Uh, about how we can do it. I mean, who the heck gets to say that stuff? People see it as essentially animal pleasure. People just do it anyway. It is justification for sexual immorality, for perversion, for rampant lust. Any TV set of commercials are, are trying to unleash your lust. A lot of advertisements are trying to unleash your lust. This is one view of sex. It is kind of the over-desire for sex. It's unleashed and just spilling over all over the place. This is one foolish view. There's the other, but there's another foolish view. The other foolish view is if you're prudish, if you're afraid of it, if you're avoidant, if you think it's dirty, and there are lots of people who are married and they still have these attitudes. 
There's lots of people who are in the church who think they have these attitudes. And most churches don't have a pastor who will preach this stuff because, quite frankly, they're erring on this false side. But that's not what the Bible says. In this church, I'm not trying to brag, but I here's how I look at it. I will preach what the Bible says. I will try to say it with the way the Bible says it. And the way the Bible says it is unembarrassed. That's the wise point. That's the wise balance of the way it presents it. If you think I'm being prudish, Pastor, you're crazy. I can't believe you're saying this stuff in church. You can't say this stuff in church. Let me say this. If you think this, you feel this at this exact moment, you're ungodly. Let me say that again. If you're prudish, you're nervous, you can't say this, Pastor, because you just can't say this. Yes, I can. It's right there in the Bible. In fact, I can say this. I should say this. It's wise to say this. You should say this. <laughs> you should say this to each other. You should talk like this to each other. This is real wisdom. This is the real biblical balance. People who are prudish, sex avoidant, sex fearful, and sex think sex is dirty, even within marriage, let me tell you, that's not godly. That's not from God. And so, get godly. Okay? If you don't have a great sex life in your marriage, let me tell you, you lack a certain godliness. You lack a certain power in your life. You lack something very important in your life. Godliness, you, think, you don't think this is actually a great form of blessing. It's actually an incredible form of blessing. It sounds a really weird way. I know it sounds weird, and I'm kind of laying this on thick, but it's really important. Okay? Let's go to part two. Part two. Okay? Um, I'm, there is... I'm just going to show you one other place in the Bible where this is just this is just so made obvious. Okay, if if you have your Bible, I want you to actually see it. Go to Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, chapter seven. It's a little bit further down from Proverbs. Okay, so it's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, chapter seven. I think if you take Song of Songs out of the Bible, the whole Bible changes. I'm serious. Because the whole meaning of sex and the feel of sex will change. And sex is such an important thing in life, it'll actually change the way we look at life. But Song of Songs is this mysterious and wild, and quite frankly, it feels very scandalous to the typical Christian prude. It is a red-hot book, okay? Um, and I'm just going to read you from chapter 7. And I don't know how poetic many of you guys are, but just give you a feel for how the Bible looks at what sex should be like in the married life. This is why it is a glorious gift to married folks. So this is, here's a, here's a husband. There's, a, there's two characters in Song of Solomon. Songs, and then there's discussion between scholars about who they are. But all what you need to know is they are a man and his and his wife. Chapter seven, verse one. And this is how he talks to her: How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never. Lacks mixed wine. It's very interesting. He apparently likes to put wine in his wife's belly button. Okay? Just think about that, okay? Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. I think that means he likes to touch her. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon. I don't know what Heshbon is, but it must be nice. By the gate of Bat Rabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like camel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. Let me just say something about this. You hear what the Bible's saying? A man should love his wife's body. He should notice every single piece of her. And he should say to her, this is great. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. This is awesome. <laughs> That's what you, a man should say to his wife. He shouldn't say that to anybody else's wife. And he shouldn't be looking. But you should actually say that. Husbands, you should actually say that to your wife. I mean, 
I mean, I don't know if you want to say your eyes are like pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bat Rabim, all right? I mean, you know, you could use the 21st century version, okay? The 21st century American version of that. Let me say it. And in, in our time and day, I, I, there's so many studies done on this. Women after women have been asked this question. Do you like your body? Do you like your body? Do you like your body? You know what percentage of women like their body? It's a really small percent. It's something like 20-something percent. And sometimes I wonder if they're lying too. The husband's perception of his wife, if he, you say this to your wife, she will actually begin to think that she might be beautiful. If you say to her, gosh, you are hot. <laughs> Those thighs are hot. Thighs right there. <laughs> your belly button is hot. Okay? So husbands say this to your wives. Ladies, it's good. If your husband likes your body, don't think he's being gross. Don't think he think he's uh, too sexed up. The Bible thinks it's good. It's good. It's very good. Right? Verse 6. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. There's a lot of delights, apparently. Right? Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. It makes me hungry, actually. <laughs> I want to climb. There's, there's apples and there's wine. Apparently, your wife is supposed to be very tasty. Then it goes to her. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. See, it's supposed to be tasty. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved. Let us go out into the fields. This is how a wife should talk to her husband. Let's go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded. I don't think she's talking about a literal vineyard. She's saying... Go out into the vineyards. Come on. This is the vineyard. Let's see if whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened, and the pomegranates are in bloom. So taste. Taste of this. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance. I've never had a mandrake, but apparently what the biblical scholar says, it's a piece of fruit. It's a special kind of fruit. And that fruit was very well known in the ancient Near East as being an aphrodisiac. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits. I'm your fruit. Come and eat. New as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O oh my beloved. She lays up wonderful fruit. This is how the Bible talks. So, look, it's not just Proverbs chapter 5. I particularly like Proverbs chapter 5. There are other verses. I, there's, a, there's a great verse in chapter... Uh, there's a great set of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can look that up if you want. Let me just um, close part 2 of my message with this little quote. This is from Dr. Lehman again. We live in a world that glorifies youth, uncommitted sex, and bodies that require a ridiculous amount of self-serving time in the gym. Let's turn that around. Let's reaffirm the bodies of women who have generously and selflessly produced life for one, two, three, or even four babies. Let's appreciate those men who work hard to support their families and who don't have time to stop at stop off at the gym and lift weights because they're eager to get home and be with their kids. The best way to do this is to enjoy your spouse's body to the fullest. You listen. Explore it. Revel in it. Play with it. Touch it. Praise it. Because it's like mandrakes and pomegranates apparently. Your body is a wonderful thing. It's one of the best gifts you can ever give to your spouse. Don't be selfish. Be generous 
and enjoy the results. He's a wise man. Let me go to part three. Look. Some of you are listening to this message, I know. And this is not easy. Some of you are listening to this message because, and you're thinking, man, I, I've screwed up a lot in my sex life. I did have sex with people who I wasn't mar- married to. I do look at porn, and I have a habit of it. I don't even know if I can get off. Some of you are married, and you're like, you're like the Mark and Brenda couple. Maybe it's even worse. You're like that couple that went nuts and you know, drove past your Longley and almost tore his church apart. Maybe you're like that. And some of you are thinking, I don't know, Pastor. I don't know. What if I don't ever get married? And what if we don't ever have a good sex life? I want to say a few things right now to you. There's so much that needs to be said about this. It could be, and I, there's no way I could say all this to you in 40 minutes. I can't give you all kinds of good advice. There's lots of great advice. Get the book, please. The book is great. Uh, I gave a, a, seri- a sex series in my preaching a few years ago, and I was looking for a book like this that I wouldn't say, I can't tell you everything to do. Here, read this book. I know that sounds like terrible advice. Okay, I'll, I'm not even willing to teach a class on it. We'll go over chapters of the book together, okay? Not that I'm some super expert in this, but my wife, we've grown on this. Let me just put it to you. We're godly. <laughs> We're godly. We, 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 we practice this form of godliness. And it did not, take, it did, it did not come easily. Dr. Lima is right. And we definitely had periods in our life where we struggled with this. I've looked at porn. I've had a porn habit. And it was not easy to have victory in, in that area of my life. Right? So I know a little something about the shame and the heartache and the brokenness. I know it personally, and I've talked to lots of people about this. But we don't have sex just because we want to have sex. We have sex in Christ. And to have sex in Christ is a whole lot different thing to just have sex. And I know you guys come to this church and some of you are like, Pastor Susan, I'm always going to say something about Jesus at the end of every sermon. I hope you don't think that that's boring. I hope that many of you will come to this church because you go, I can't wait when Pastor Susan talks about Jesus. Because it's a very different thing to live in life to have money, but to learn to have money in Christ. To have a job, but to learn to have a job in Christ. To be married, but to have married in Christ. And to learn to have sex, to have sex in Christ. It's Jesus. Many of you have, been, have deep brokenness in this. But on the other side of the cross, Jesus washes you. Jesus forgives you. Some of you are thinking, I'll never have a good sex life. I've screwed my life up so dang much. I've screwed our marriage up so dang much. It's not true. The other side of the cross, there's hope. There's real life. There is forgiveness. There is washing. There is transformation. That's what Jesus offers. Well, let me say something else about Christ. Sex. Most of you think sex is this thing you have to have before you have babies. Sex is this fun thing you get to have when you're married. It's actually a lot more than that. Sex is actually a pointer to something else. The Bible actually looks at all history in this odd way. All of history is a really bad marriage. God pursues a really whorish woman called the church. She utterly screws up the sex life. She has sex with everybody except she's utterly unfaithful. Her heart is all about masturbation and fornication and adultery and porn and every other kind of perversion. But at the end of the Bible, it says there's a great wedding. God will marry this Horish woman called the church. And then there's going to be a wedding night. 
So you know what's at the, actually at the end of the Bible? This is really wild. I know this sounds utterly crazy. At the end of the Bible is a consummation of a wedding. For God will be the great lover. So what sex is, and what you have in every marriage, and maybe you get to have a little bit about this in your married life tonight, okay? So if you want to have it tonight, go for it. Great, okay? But this is really incredible. But it's a pointer. It's a pointer to what it will be like when all of God's people will be ravished and utterly known by the greatest lover there is. And I know this is really hard. You're sitting there going like, oh, sex life is so lame. Because sex is really a conduit for the deepest, most profound love there is. And the reason it's hard is because we are terrible lovers. All this insecurity and all this selfishness and grudges that you've had of your spouse from five years back, all this garbage you're bringing up. You didn't do this for me five years ago. And, and then two weeks ago, you did this thing. It reminded me of the thing you did from five years ago. And you didn't clean up this. And you didn't take care of this. And that's all in your bed. And you still pining away for some old girlfriend that you had. Or some hot guy that you still liked. And your husband wasn't as good as that guy. All of that stuff is in the bed. But Jesus will wash it. If you seek sex in Christ. And more and more your sex life can be something. I mean, that's what the Bible is saying. If you've ever really known what it's like to have sex when it's not just sex, but when it is really deep, beautiful, profound, covenantal love. When two people are utterly naked and give themselves to each other wholly, completely, with the deepest knowledge and utter unashamedness. That really, it just changes your life. It just changes your life. And I don't know if you've never experienced that, you're just going to take my word for it. It's an absolutely incredible thing. And if that is the pointer to the end of history, then... Wow. Wow. So, husbands and wives, please, please, please make this a priority. Once a month is not often enough. Just tell you that. It's not often enough. And if you're not good at it, then admit it. Admit it. Start talking to your spouse about it. And start becoming naked before your spouse in your heart and all your insecurities, and then just trust Lord Jesus in Christ. Change us. Because only when you're in Christ we can start having these conversations and start moving toward one another this way. But when you do, man, it'll light you up in a new kind of way. All you single guys, this is the way you want to have sex. Okay, I'll stop now. Let's pray. Lord, I, I read these passages in the Bible and I want to laugh and I want to cry. It makes me want to cry for all the ways that I've been so bad and you have washed me. All the ways that my wife has forgiven me. All the ways she loves me, which is just a tiny way, a foretaste of the way you will love us. I want to laugh because we're so foolish, we have no clue how greatly you want to ravish us. How deep and incredible your love for us is. It's so great that you had to form this incredible experience called sex to say, my love is like that, but it's better than that. I don't even know how to describe it. So here, have this great gift. And I want to pray for singles right now who hear this message, will they know they're forgiven? Will they know that there is a great hope for them? Will you give them a determination to wait and put their hope in something so much greater than instant gratification or hookups? 
or porn or lust. And I want to pray for husbands and wives. If there's any couples here who have tasted of this, will they know that, Lord, it just gets better and better? So strange. I thought five years ago our sex life couldn't get better. And now I stop thinking it's, it can't get better because I know it does get better. Lord, because you always get better. And if there's couples here listening to this message and they are like Mark and Brenda or worse and their sex life is in shambles because their marriage is so poor, would you pour forth the Spirit of Jesus and they would learn to live on the other side of the cross in faith that you have something new for them, something great for them. And bit by bit, they would begin to lay down their shames and all their fears before their spouse in faith that when they do this with you, you will do something new. You will do something glorious and new. I pray for their kids. I pray for... They'd have such inner happiness and joy in their marriage coming out of this special place. Their kids were going, what the heck is going on with mom and dad? But it's great. From Jesus to their beds, into the hearts of their kids, would you bless our kids? And I pray for people, Lord. I pray for just our churches, that there would be a vibrance and a radiance that starts to shine out in our faces, in our lives. Because this wisdom gets planted. That we would not be so darn busy chasing after our idolatries, after our money, after our success, after the perfect ways that we're going to be parents and produce perfect kids, to do all these things outside of Christ, but to instead put on the wisdom of Christ and to own the forgiveness of Christ and the hope of Christ. Would you do this in us today? Hear these prayers, Lord. Hear this prayer. And in the months and the weeks ahead, will there be great and thankful conversations of wonder and of awe as we share this blessing with one another and what you are doing in the midst of us. In Jesus' name.